past the hills of Watt Valley and the Wind River Windmill sits a small little town blanketed in snow named Wyville. All the wise down in Wyville loved Christmas a lot, but up on Mount Grumpy lived someone who did not. His name was Grimley, and he was the Grinchiest of all. He hated the Christmas season in the wise from short to tall. But there was a Christmas tradition Grimley couldn't stand in the least. For every time he heard those wise singing, it made him as angry as a beast. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Oh, not the singing. I hate all the singing. It makes me so, so... Joyful? Angry. Angry? But Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. Chestnuts roast on an open fire. Jack Frost nips at your nose. Just hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring ting tingling. Enough! Oh, every single note. Any of you wise sing it. It makes me want to, well, it makes me want to, oh. Perhaps you could find the right words if you spoke them in song. You want a song? I'll give you a song. I just have to say. You know that it's Christmas time. Oh, it should just go away. You're crazy. It's Christmas time. This season has been. So great and so fun So again. very lame. I'm super glad that it has came. Oh. The carols get me in a fury. I usually sing them early. The lights should be thrown on the floor. The lights are what I truly adore. I just have to say, I have to shout out. How much I love Christmas time. Hey guys, I hear singing out here. Ah, more like torture, Mark. Torture, All these wives, yeah. they want to be cheerful and they want me to be cheesy just like them. But I can't <laughs> be controlled. I'm nobody's puppet. Yeah, right. Nobody's puppet. I like that. What? He's an angry elf. Uh, you know, here's the thing, Grimley. If you're worried about being under control, you need to deal with that temper of yours because if you don't control it, it'll control you. Come on, Grimley. How about I get you some hot cocoa? Fine, but if you really wanted to cheer me up, we'd go pelt carolers with snowballs. <laughs> Yeah, some of you, this is your first time at New Spring, and you're thinking, are these people crazy? The answer to that question is yes, we certifiably crazy. Um, you know, when I thought of this series last, really late spring, early summer, I thought about Grinches because we're dealing with the stuff that steals our joy. I had no idea there was going to be a movie that was going to come out, so that was kind of serendipity. But I had a chance to go to the movie actually a couple times. First time I went was the day it opened. I went with my son, Stephen, because we were looking how to work on this series and just to see what the movie was. Second time I took, it, took my granddaughter. So that was really fun because uh, as we, it was fun for me to watch it through their eyes. But I'm such an old person. But even though I'm an old person, Dr. Seuss has been part of my life pretty much for my entire life. I grew up with Dr. Seuss. And for all of us parents and grandparents who've read the Seuss stories to our kids, we know something. We know that the kids are taken with the drawings and the rhyme, but the truth of the matter is there are deep underlying meanings. In fact, there are times I used to wonder if Dr. Seuss wasn't written, really written for adults to talk to kids about big lessons. Well, the Grinch, of course, is the cartoon character that stole Christmas and for kids, they can sync up with stealing the decorations and dealing, stealing the presents. But I think for us who are adults, we see the deeper meaning. That from time to time, we've dealt with things that have stolen our Christmas. Well, at the early part of the movie, they, the carolers sing a song. And by the way, if you haven't seen the Grinch movie, I don't usually recommend animated movies, but I like this movie. I liked it a lot. And early on in the movie, they sing an old Christmas carol, uh, God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. And in the chorus of God Rest You Merry Gentlemen, 
the carolers are singing, oh, tidings of comfort, comfort and joy. And when I think about the Grinches of life, I think about those thieves in our experience of Christmas and not just Christmas, but around the year that steal our comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Have you ever like had a Christmas in which you expected the best, but you didn't have joy or you didn't have comfort? By the way, just making sure that we understand what those two words mean. The dictionary definition of comfort means comfort is the easing of a person's feelings of grief or distress. And comfort is, instead of that, having feelings of grief and distress. The definition of joy is a feeling of great pleasure or happiness. I think all of us, as we look forward to the Christmas season, we want, we want to have that. We want to have comfort and joy. Well, I don't know if Dr. Seuss knew this or not. I don't know what his spiritual situation was. But, you know, here's the thing. All truth belongs to God. We looked at that in New Times too. And whether he realized it or not, he synced up with a strong biblical message that Jesus himself gave us in John chapter 10. Jesus was talking about Satan when he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, what did the Grinch do? He stole Christmas. Well, that's a cartoon character. It's a fictitious character. But Jesus said there's a real character, Satan. And it, and, and it could sound like a redundancy, but I think we really need to hear the strength of Jesus' statement. The thief comes to steal. There is an enemy that you have who is coming into your life to steal. Jesus said that he came to give us life and to give it abundantly. So my prayer is not just for this Christmas season, but for all of your life that you have comfort and joy. So each week we're talking about some of the Grinches that attack our comfort and our joy. Today, I want to talk about the Grinch that's caused me the most trouble in my life. And in our times today, I think it's a it's it's maybe the, the worst Grinch of all. This Grinch is so devastating our whole culture struggles to know how to deal with it, and that's the Grinch of anger. I did a series back in 2005 called Boiling Point, and I came back in 2008 and did another series on anger called Packing Heat. I'm sure you can order those in the bookstore if you're interested in looking them up. But I got the idea for Packing Heat when I went home to my home area of Dallas-Fort Worth. And back in those days, uh, carrying firearms wasn't as prevalent as it is today, but in Texas it was more common. But there were restaurants that were trying to send a signal that people shouldn't bring their guns into the restaurant. And Texans, creative as they are, had signs on the restaurant that said, leave your gun in the pickup. And I thought about that, and I kind of looked around the restaurant down in Fort Worth one day, and I was looking around and I thought, I wonder who's packing here, because you can't always tell who's carrying a handgun, can you? Because all kinds of people carry And down in Texas, I was smiling as I looked around because I thought, you know, that thin blonde in Texas with the big hair and the SUV may have a 357 in her purse. You just never know who's packing. And while I was thinking about that, though, a real serious thought came to me. In all my years of pastoring and engaging people as they told me about their lives, I came to realize that a lot of very normal-looking people are packing heat. They're carrying anger. In fact, very well-put-together men and women After they told me how much rage they had inside, I was kind of worried to know that people like that were out there driving around and moving around. Anger is a huge problem in our culture today. And I think one of the reasons it's such a big problem, it's it's perhaps our most confusing emotion. You know, how many of us, well, first of all, let me ask this question. How many of us have watched public figures say things and do things that are outrageous, and when they're recorded, 
they'll say something like, well, that's not me. I mean, it's been a few years ago, but how many of us remember Alec Baldwin's recording of his rant to his daughter? And it was horrible. But what did Alec Baldwin say when he was called to account for that? He said, that's not who I am. Now, I I do think sometimes that some of these apologies that our public figures give are a little sappy, but at the same time, I think there's a measure of truth to that. How many of us have reacted with anger only to think about it and say, wow, that's not me. I was out of character. I'm convinced that anger is our most confusing emotion. And now, I want to do something for a few moments. I want to talk about theology. I don't do that a lot. I just want you most of the time to know clearly what God states, but I want take a moment to talk about theology because I think we need it to help us understand anger. I really believe that you and I were never intended by our creator to have anger. Now, hold on. Somebody right now is saying, wait a minute, Mark, isn't anger legitimate? Yeah, it is. We'll talk about it in just a moment in certain situations. But I'm just talking about ultimately, originally, when God created us, I don't think we were ever intended to have anger. Consequently, anger is always, it always feels like an add-on emotion. It is an emotion that God allowed us to have in response to something and in response to this, sin. See, here's the thing. Think about anger in your life for a moment. What makes you angry? You're angry because something is wrong, something is unfair, something is unjust, something is broken. And we can go on and on and we can list similar things and synonyms, but at the end of the day, you don't get angry because you wake up in the morning and get a raise when you get to work. You don't get angry because someone lets you in to traffic. You get angry because someone cuts you off. You get angry because you lose your job or you have your pay cut. See, Anger is a response to wrong. It is, it is a response to imperfection, un- injustice. Now, when God made us, when he made our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were in the Garden of Eden, and the Garden of Eden had no wrong. It had no injustice. It had no pain. It had no brokenness. So consequently, when God put our first parents in the Garden of Eden, they didn't need anger. But when sin came in, And as a result, the whole culture was broken. In theological terms, we call this the fall. In other words, sin came in and all kinds of brokenness came in as a result. Well, after that, then human beings that God created had a need to respond to injustice, to wrong, unfairness. And consequently, yes, indeed, there is a legitimate sense for anger. I mean, it would be a sad thing to be in a world that never got angry when children are abused. Fair? So yeah, there's a legitimate need for anger. So I wrote this statement out, and I want to read it to you because I want you to hear this. Anger is the human gut reaction to the fall. It's like living in a magnificent house where nothing works right with crazy neighbors. Let me say that one more time. It's like living in a magnificent house, and by that I'm talking about the beautiful world that God created. And in this beautiful world, it is natural to have expectations that things work out. I mean, the sun comes up every morning, goes down in the evening. You know, there are the predictable seasons. There's winter and summer. There's seed time and harvest. There's all these things in our world that still bears evidence of a wonderful creator who made us to live in a magnificent house. But in this magnificent house, nothing seems to work right. And yes, indeed, don't we have crazy neighbors? And the people who live next door to us say they have crazy neighbors. That's why anger is confusing. There's another reason why it's confusing. Psychologists teach us that anger is always a second emotion. It's never a primary emotion. I think this is, for me, this is the reason why it's most confusing. 
You know, we hear about anger control. It's got its place. But anger control on its prima facie basis doesn't really help us very much. Because you understand anger is a blind emotion. Jonathan, my son, puts it this way. He said, anger is always in the passenger seat, but something is in the driver's seat. So consequently, anger itself is just a human response. It's really important to understand why we're angry. For instance, let me give you an example, and I think probably every parent of a small child in this room is going to identify with this. You ever see your child do something dangerous, like, like you're, you know, your kid, you're, you're out with your kid, and you're close to the street, and next thing you know, your kid is about to dart out in front of a car, and you grab her or grab him. How do you react? You react with anger. What's the matter with you? Why did you do that? Now, are you really angry, or were you scared? You understand what I'm saying? See, it was fear. Anger was the face that fear wore. Same thing, it can be insecurity. You're in a situation where you're made to feel less than. And so consequently, it's natural to respond with anger. I don't like those people anyway. It's not anger, it's just insecurity. And anger is the face that it's wearing. Or it can be hurt. Maybe in the Christmas season, you have a family member who shows up for Christmas and makes a snide comment about you, and you love that person, you want that person to love and value you, but you react with anger. I don't care if I ever see her again in my life. You know, there goes her Christmas present. Is it really anger or is it hurt? See, hurt wears the face of anger. I'll tell you my biggest issue. This confession is good for the souls. Nobody here but us and the North Auditorium and those watching online and the television audience. So let me just go ahead and confess. My issue is frustration. When something frustrates me, I get angry. And, and the, ang- it, the issue is not so much anger. I, I don't tend to be an angry person. I just tend to be a person who frustrates easily. I mean, there are no pastels in my personality, and I'm not just a type A person. I'm a type triple A personality, you know? And I don't, wear, I don't wear foolishness gladly. So that's my issue. When life frustrates me, I tend to react in anger. See, this is the reason why I think, in large part, anger is a confusing emotion because a lot of times we're trying to say, why did I get angry? And we're trying to analyze the anger when we would be much wiser to go down below the anger and see what was in, as Jonathan says, the driver's seat. You see what I'm saying? And this is why so many people go through anger management and they come out the same over and over again because they've tried to deal with the reactions of anger without dealing with the underlying issue. So with that out of the way, I want to make this point before we go any further. You and I live in a culture that tends to stoke the fires of anger. When President Bush died, what was it, Friday night? On Saturday morning, I I read news stories about President Bush, but since I knew I was going to be bringing this message yesterday, I did something I never do. I read comment threads. You know, my life's too short. At 62 years of age, I don't have time to read people's comments. But I knew what I was going to get when when I opened them up. But even so, I could not believe the hateful, vitriolic things that people were saying about President Bush. And here's the weird thing. It was coming from the left and the right. Horrible, hateful, disgusting things. Now, here's my point. Work with me for a moment, regardless of how you feel about the president. Work with me for a moment. Do you really think that 24 hours before that, people were living with rage because they were unhappy with President Bush? No. See, the problem is they're packing heat. They're carrying anger. I mean, how many of you, how many, we're, in, we're in a football season right now. How many of you read sports articles on the internet? Look at, 
look at the comment thread after just a simple game of who won and who lost. You have these horrible, hateful things that people are saying. You wonder if in a situation where they were really face-to-face talking with someone, if they would really pour out that kind of vitriol. Not likely. But you see, we're living in a culture today that stokes the fires of anger. In fact, the more you rant, the more attention you get. I mean, isn't this what's behind cable TV news? Isn't this what's behind talk radio? I mean, on and on and on. It's just a culture. And I'm not talking about left versus right. I'm not talking about right versus left. This is not Democrat. It's not Republican. It's cultural. We just live in a culture that fans the flames of anger. So with that out of the way, in this angry world, how are we going to have comfort and joy? I mean, because here's the deal. Somebody could say, well, Mark, are you going to teach us how to deal with angry people today? No, not really. That's for another day. But the truth be told, if you and I want to have anger, or if we want to have comfort and joy, we have to deal with the anger that's inside of us. And by the way, let me just make this real clear. The Bible will make it clear later on. There are some of you who are saying, I don't really need this sermon today because I don't have a problem with anger. Well, chances are it's because you're defining anger as temper. But anger, anger has a lot of manifestations. Let me just tell you right now, this is a percentage that I know of all new springers who, who deal with anger issues, okay? Because I've, I've analyzed this in 34 years of pastoring. I want to talk about right now real quickly the percentage of new springers who deal with anger. You ready? 100%. Because whether it's hot rage or it's cool, at the end of the day, we all deal with anger. So we want comfort and joy. How do we, how do we deal with it? Before the four o'clock service, I was telling Stephen and Jonathan, they were in my office, I said, I am so in over my head because the Bible says so many awesome things about anger. How am I going to address it in 30 minutes? Well, as I prayed about that though, God led me to a scripture. So if you have a Bible today, and if you have an electronic device that has a Bible app, I want you to read this with me. If not, these verses will be up on the screens, or if you're watching online, I think they'll be on there as well. I want to take you to scriptures in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with the 26th verse and ending with the 32nd. Now, first of all, I want to read the whole thing to you so you can let it marinate a little bit, and then we're going to take it apart. Because when this is over, I think you're going to have some wonderful advice on dealing with anger in your life. Here we go. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on the cause of your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. You must let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what's beneficial for the building up of the one in need, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. You must put away every kind of bitterness, anger, wrath, quarreling, evil, slanderous talk. Instead, be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God, for Christ's sake, forgave us. Now, here's the deal. This is, this is one of those things you want to take a deep breath before you hear this. God's going to teach us here how to get rid of anger in our lives. Now, what's his plan for us? Is it a 12-step plan? No. In the middle of that scripture, look at these two words. God says, get rid. So here, here it is. God's making this real simple. And look at what he says. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, on and on. Now, Get rid, get rid. What do you think about when you hear those words, get rid? I think about trash, don't you? I'm guessing somewhere in your house or outside your house, you have trash receptacles. The primary ones in my home 
are in the kitchen. There's a drawer that pulls out, and there are a couple little trash bins. One's for trash, one's for a recycle. So I, I'm there every day. Now, I, I get rid of trash. Now, here's the thing about getting rid of trash. Trash oftentimes is stuff that once was good or something I had hoped for or something that's outlived its usefulness. But when you get rid of trash, notice, and this is going to be really complicated. You're going to say, did I get up this early just to go hear Mark say this? Maybe not, but at least just, just stay with me. When you, when, you get, when you throw trash away, the first thing you have to do is you have to identify it as trash, right? You have to say, this does not belong in my house. This does not belong in my care anymore. It, it, is, it does not belong here. You identify it as trash. See, the problem with a lot of us, when we, when we look at emotions in our lives that are not healthy, we don't identify them as trash. As we're going to see with anger a lot of times, we're going to say, I need that. And yet God says when it comes to anger, identify it as trash. And recognize as you identify it as trash, it's never going to be anything better. You ever have spoiled milk in your house? Well, here's the thing about spoiled milk. It doesn't go good. He's like, well, you know what? This milk is spoiled. I'm going to put it in the refrigerator and look at it again in about three weeks. See if it turns good. No. Good milk can spoil, but spoiled milk doesn't turn good. And, and that's what God is trying to teach us about anger. It's like it's not going to get better. Rage is not going to get better. Bitterness is not going to get better. So you identify it as trash, and then you put it away. You get it outside of you. You're saying, this does not belong in my life anymore. Now, here's the, when I read that expression, get rid of, it strikes me that God is not making anger as complicated as we make it. God's making it pretty simple. But, and I need to go here. When God says get rid of anger in our lives, for me, it goes right to the heart of our misunderstanding about anger. And here's what it is. Most of us believe that anger is necessary. I have to be angry, see? You say, Mark, can you prove that? Yeah, I can prove it. Have you ever thought about the statement that we made when someone leads us into anger, or something leads us into anger. We say, he, ready for the verb? Made me angry. She made me angry. It made me angry. You understand what I'm saying? We're saying, I don't have any choice. She made me angry. Well, God is saying in Ephesians 4.31, that's not right. I mean, first of all, here's the thing. If someone can make you angry, you're giving that person way too much power in your life, right? Do you really want to give somebody else that kind of power? I mean, considering how destructive anger is, do you, do you really want to say, you know, my husband has the power to make me angry. My wife has the power to make me angry. I don't know that we should give anybody that kind of power in our life. But then God is saying, you and I are in control. So here's the thing. With the brief time that we have left, and we have about 10 minutes left, I guess, I want to take us to the rest of the scripture, and I want us to unpack it line by line. So if you have your Bible, just kind of follow along. If not, you can watch this on the screens. But in Ephesians 4, verse 26, the Bible gives us three things to do with anger, or three things about anger that we need to understand. First of all, God says, be angry. Don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Oh, that's kind of strange, isn't it, for God, first of all, to say, be angry? But here's, I believe, as much as I understand, what God is trying to say to us is, it is human and natural to feel 
a response when you encounter wrong, injustice, pain, insecurity, frustration. God is saying it's natural. You're, you're going to have those feelings. So I think when God says be angry, he is saying you are going to feel these things. You wouldn't be human if you didn't feel those things. But the second thing is God is saying, but in those feelings, don't sin. Here's a great story in the Bible that you and I need to unpack real quickly here. The first expression of anger in the Bible that we have recorded is in Genesis chapter 4. And it's the story of two brothers and one brother who was angry at the other brother. The brothers are Abel and Cain. And remember, there was a time for them to worship. And when they came to worship, Abel, who watched sheep, brought a sacrifice to God, and God accepted his offering. Cain, on the other hand, who grew vegetables, brought God a salad. And God said, not really interested in that. And so Cain got mad. That's the first time in the Bible we read about anger. Now, work with me, please. Hang on with me, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what I think, but I, I'm not sure I can prove this biblically. So don't go away and quote me. I just hope this helps you. When God begins to reason with Cain, he doesn't seem to indicate that his initial anger is wrong. God says to Cain, why are you angry? And he said, if you do right, you will be accepted. But if you don't, sin lies at the door. He was referring to sin like a wild animal that if that door was cracked open, it would rush in and attack him. So when God said, why are you angry? Sin lies at the door. I I sort of walk away from that and saying, God is more or less saying to Cain, it is understandable that you're embarrassed. And when you're embarrassed, it's human nature to feel anger. But God is saying, don't let that anger morph into sin. See, it's pretty well the same thing that we read about in Ephesians chapter 4. Be angry. It's one thing to feel anger when you're hurt, when you're frustrated, when you're embarrassed, when you're insecure. But don't let that anger lead you into saying something or doing something or sinning in your life. And then the third statement that we read in that text is that the sun is not to go down in our anger. That means there's a time limit on anger. There's a time when anger needs to time out. Now, with those three statements, be angry, feel angry, don't sin, and don't let the sun go down in your wrath, I don't know what stands out to you, but I'll tell you what jumps off the page at me. If I'm going to do those three things, I'm going to have to do a lot of thinking. See, my problem with anger is I tend to not think, I tend to react. Now, Jonathan, he's the brilliant one on brain science, and he teaches me a whole lot of things as I listen to him. But Jonathan was talking to me about this. He said the part of your brain that is cognitive, that can choose to make decisions, gets shut off when we get angry. It's the fight or flight mechanism. So consequently, when you experience fight or flight, you don't have a lot of time to think you need to react. But what God is teaching us here is when you get angry, You need to back off a little bit. Here's a great verse. This is in Psalms chapter 4. I've been reading out of Ephesians. That's the New Testament. Now we're going to jump back to the Old Testament, but we're going to see how similar these texts are. But a great great thing for us to deal with anger. Psalm 4 verse 4. In your anger do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Now, hey, confession is good for the soul. When I get angry and I'm lying in bed, I think, but I don't think the way Psalms teaches me to think. You know what I tend to do? I tend to rehearse what made me hear that word come out. I tend to rehearse what made me mad. Don't, don't we do that? We just, whatever she said, it just goes over and over. It's like a loop. You know, it's like, it's like that old Eagle song. You know I mean? It's like you're on the highway and you can't get off. I mean, you've got, you just got this loop that just keeps playing in your head. And the more you think about it, what happens? matter we get. 
So now this, this verse is saying, when we get angry, lie on your bed, but don't think about her, don't think about him. God is saying, think about yourself. I read a great story about a man who was in the service industry of some kind. And oftentimes there would be customers who would just rage at him and his employees because they expected five-star service at Motel 6 prices. And so they would just come in, and he, he got tired of having spittle flung in his face from angry customers. And, and, but one day a woman came in, and he was able to just objectively watch her, and, and she was so animated, he looked at her and said, you know, she looks like a monkey. <laughs> and he came up with an idea. He thought, you know, most people who are raging, they don't know what they look like. So he had this brilliant idea. He put a mirror behind his counter so that when people came in, they could see themselves. And it really shut off a lot of anger. You see, God is teaching us the same thing, isn't he? God is saying, when you get angry and you're lying on your bed, think about yourself. What kind of thoughts? Well, one of the thoughts that helps me is just the embracing of the reality. It's a broken world. I, I, I am living in a magnificent house, but it's a, it's a house where nothing works right. You know what? I have a sin nature. Mary Alice has a sin nature, not nearly as big as mine, but she has a sin nature. My kids have sin natures. My grandkids have sin natures. My, all my friends have sin natures. The whole world has a sin nature. Democrats have a sin nature. Republicans have a sin nature. Independent socialists, everybody's got a sin nature. There's going to be a lot of broken stuff. There's going to be some bad stuff in our world. And I think that's one of the things that I think about. Yeah, I live in a broken world. Things are gonna, stuff's going to happen. Here's one that really helps me. I have to always ask myself the question, who am I? Because I can't let an angry person change me. Right? How many times have we got pulled down to somebody's level because we got angry? A great leader said something to me years ago. He said, you know, you can wrestle with a pig if you want to. You'll both get dirty. And the thing is, the pig will enjoy it. Who'd you just think about right then, right? <laughs> you did. You thought about somebody. I, I know. I, I can see the looks on all 3,000 of your faces. Okay. I think we need to think about how we can walk it back. You know, how, whenever you're in a situation where there's anger, you and I know there's a click point there where we can either push it on and go further or we can walk it back. Is this worth spoiling my day? And here's a big one for Christmas. When I look back on this five years from now, do I want the narrative of this day to be characterized by anger or do I want it to be characterized by comfort and joy? The Bible is saying when you, when you get angry, lie down and think about yourself. It's great. Now, here's a couple more reasons why we need to do this. this is, I'm now in verse 26. God has said, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And he said, nor give place to the devil and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. When I let anger control my life, there are a couple things that I really need to realize has just happened. First of all, the Holy Spirit is grieved. And that means God's presence kind of moves away. Not completely away, but steps to the background. And then secondly, the Bible says, I give space to the devil. Now, here's the deal, and I've pastored for a long time, and I remember when people used to think a lot about Satan worship, and there were people who were Satan worshipers that created spaces, altars in their house for Satan, and Christians used to say, that's the most horrible thing in the world, and I agree. But the truth be told, there are a lot of us who are Christ followers that have reserved spaces in our home for Satan. Because the Bible says that when we let anger stay in our lives, we have created space, reserved space for Satan to work. 
It'd be like if you came to my house and you said, oh, that third bay of your garage, I see you're in Mary Alice's car. What's the third bay? Oh, that's Satan's parking spot. We let him park there. Whose bedroom? Oh, that's Satan's bedroom. Crazy, isn't it? We wouldn't do that. And yet the Bible says that when we let anger reside in our marriage, in our dating relationship, in our lives, when, we, when we're angry, we are devoting, this is the scriptures, we are devoting space in our life and identifying it as saying this is the devil's space. I don't know about you, but I can't afford that. Well, as someone who has struggled with anger throughout my life, and thankfully God's let me make a lot of progress, I want to give you the verse that has helped me the most, okay? So if you, if you and all of us deal with anger, but if, if anger is something that you care about and you don't want to have in your life because you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit and you don't want to give the devil space in your life, here is a verse, and again, it's just my thinking. It's my favorite verse. In James 1 verse 19, the Bible says, be swift to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to wrath. Now, that's not the part that's my favorite part, but let's just stop there for a moment. Why does God say be swift to hear? Because when we get angry, we, slow, we, we tend to be slow to hear. And when God says be slow to speak, why does he say that? Because we tend to be quick to speak. And why does God be, say be slow to anger? Because we're quick to anger. See, here's the thing. Think about that speaking and hearing thing. How many times, and I think men, I think we're worse about this. How many times do we not listen? Because I'm mad. And we talk. And then later on, our wife tells us the rest of it. And we're like, oh, oh. Well, I didn't know about that. You know why? Because we're quick to talk, we're quick to anger, and slow to think. God is saying, reverse that, flip that. Be quick to think. Be quick to think. And then be slow. By the way, you know, here's the thing. This is really important for us. If you decide you want to be angry later on, you can always do it. Fair? Six weeks from now, if you want to throw a fit about it, hey, go ahead. You can do it. But you know what you can't do? You can't undo the effects of anger. Now, I'm talking to some of you here today and say, well, it's never a problem, Mark. We kissed, we made up. Anger has an echo effect. Am I right? How many of you, you know, someone said something to you that hurt your feelings and came back and apologized to you, and it's like, okay, we kissed, we made up, but then after six weeks, six years, 60 years, those words still echo. So you can't take back what you do in anger. You can always get mad later. God says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. But now here's the verse that has helped, the word that's helped me the most. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I realize this. The moment I get angry, I stop doing good. No good's going to happen. Hey, when we get angry, we break stuff. We don't fix stuff. And the Bible says, when we get angry, we just stop doing God's work. It is impossible to do God's work and be angry at the same time. For me, I live to do God's work. And I realize if, if I'm having a conversation with Mary Alice and I get angry, I just stop. All, all the good's going out the window. I'm not going to do anything good. I can be right, but anger is going to keep me from doing good. Now, as I close out, let me go here and I'll be finished. God is going to deal with the biggest issue when anger takes control. In Ephesians 4, verse 29, it says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Now, you're going to love this. The word corrupt there means rotten fish. We even say, so, you know, it's, it's a pejorative, fish breath, right? You ever hear that? You, you know, fish breath. Well, God is saying when we get angry and we talk, it's like rotten fish breath. God says, let no corrupt word come out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. I've taught you this before, but I don't think I could ever teach you enough. Isn't it true that there are certain people in your life that whenever they talk to you, you just feel like you've been robbed? 
your self-esteem, your well-being, your peace. You just know. You hate to see them coming. And by the way, you don't have to listen to those people. It is not a sin to block those people out of your life. But there are people that just, every time they talk, you're going to feel like you've been robbed. 99 times out of 100, 999 times out of 1,000 is an angry person, right? Isn't it true that there are loving people that you just love to see because every time you see them, you're going to feel like you've just been given a gift? And that's what God is saying to us. God is saying, look, the problem with anger is we steal from people. We rob people when we talk. And God is saying, don't let any fish breath communication come out of your mouth, but say those things that build people up. Say those things that encourage people. And very quickly, he's going to, and I talked about this earlier, because for those of us who say, well, I don't have a problem with anger. I don't lose my temper. God's going to give us a catalog of anger in Ephesians 4.31. God says, get rid of all bitterness That's a resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. Rage, that's outbursts of anger. Anger, that's just an ongoing condition of being angry. Harsh words, that's a quarrelsome spirit. Slander, insults. My soul, that's late night television. I mean, we we put a premium on insults, and yet God says, get rid of it. You ever know someone who just says the most hateful things, and they'll say, oh, I was just kidding. You're dealing with an angry person right then. And then finally, God says, hateful feelings, hateful feelings. God just says, get rid of it. Verse 32, instead. I challenge you to find a bigger instead. God has said, get rid of all these different forms of anger. Be careful how you talk. God says, instead of that, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. As God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Now, here's the thing. Think about that verse. Because when God says, be kind, be tenderhearted, how many of us are sitting out there saying, you don't know my family, right? You're talking about being kind to that creep. You're talking about being tenderhearted. You know what she is. Don't say it. God knew we were going to do that. So you know what he did? At the end, he said, you be kind, you be tenderhearted as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven us. You don't have a right to be angry at any person in your life as much as God has a right to be angry at you. I don't have a right to be angry at anybody in my life as much as God has a right to be angry at me. But instead of being angry at me, God has done nothing but give me second chance after second chance. God has washed my sin away when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And all the anger that God could have toward me, he has put it aside. And he has spoken grace to me. He's spoken comfort and joy to me. I'm I'm in overtime. can't believe I'm in overtime with a bad voice. I was going to tell everybody I was going to be quick today and we'll be out early. But you know, you could be here today and you say, Mark, I didn't know that God... I I was afraid God was still angry at me. Well, the Bible tells you that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins so that God could give you a new start and never be angry at you again. And if you've never taken God up on his offer, I want to give you a chance to do it. Scripture tells us that God loved the world in spite of our sins. Jesus died to pay the price for our sins. He rose from the grave to prove that God has the power to give you everlasting life. And he has said right now there's a deal on the table And anyone who puts confidence in Jesus Christ can be forgiven, have everlasting life, and have a perfect relationship from God from now on.
Scripture says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what, you can do that right now. You don't even have to speak out loud. You can just reach out to God. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer. And these aren't magic words, but I'm going to slow it down. And I'm going to say it line by line. If it's something you want to say to God, as long as you mean it from your heart, that's what matters. Then you can pray this prayer. Would you bow your head with me? Both worship centers, online, on television. Just pray with me, please. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe you love me anyway. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. Would you forgive me? Would you make me your child? I want a relationship of everlasting joy and peace. Thank you for your gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. You say, Mark, I just prayed with you. I don't, know, I don't feel that much. I don't know what happened. Hey, I have a box I want to give you that's got a lot of great gifts in it that will help you. There's a Bible just like I preach from, some information, a book I wrote that's real easy to read. All you got to do is go to any info center and say, I pray with Mark, and they'll give it to you. Thanks for being here. God bless. See you soon.